American Mayor Quentin Lucas catch a break amid conflict over contracts at the new airport. Another blow, the mayor on the losing end of a five-month spat over police funding. I am only disappointed for this reason. Despite all of our battles, I don't think we've made a single Kansas City safer right now. So what happens now? Mayor Lucas joins us this half hour, and so do our news reviewers as we get reaction to the week's big events, happenings, and headlines. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I'm Nick Haynes. It is great to have you with us. We can ask reporters to tell us what happened in the news this week, or we can go straight to the top and ask the man in charge. We've chosen that route. Mayor Quinta Lucas joining this week. A long week for you? It has been an interesting one. Always a fun week in Kansas City. Absolutely. You never know what to expect next. And we were not expecting that big decision this week relating to the police funding dispute. Is that spat finally over after five months? And I know that the judge in that case said the city shouldn't have taken the money from the police department. By the way, if you haven't been following that story, here's a quick recap. That breaking news right now, we have a decision in the lawsuit over the Kansas City Police Department's budget. Just minutes ago, a judge sided with the police board, saying the city cannot redirect $42 million from the department. What the judge did today is to say that the city's attempt to go around that process was improper. This was a violation of the law. So what happened after that ruling? Did you call up the police chief and the police board and let's grab a beer, you said, mm -hmm. and let's bury the hatchet? Well, you know, I think I'll say this first. I, what the judge ruled was that taking the money out in May, or I guess reallocating the money in May, was not the proper time. However, it can be done at the normal budget time, which would be in March. So what we have is a setup for this same discussion to exist next winter and next spring. But in terms of outreach, absolutely I did. I sent a letter to the president of the Board of Police Commissioners right after that ruling was issued and said, let's have a discussion. Let's try to make sure that we're all working together to try to make this community as safe as possible. A letter is not the same as like a beer summit or something a little bit more <laughs> personal. Come over for coffee or tea over at the mayor's office. Let's discuss well, this. You know, I'll actually be going to the president of the Board of Police Commissioners Church here in a few weeks. I'll be having lunch with him right after. So in essence, we are scheduled to have that visit, the one where we hopefully can sit down and say, what are the things that we agree on in terms of how we can make our community safer? What happened to that full $42 million plus dollars during this whole period of time. Was it in a lockbox in your office? And are you <laughs> ceremoniously going to be handing that over to the police chief and the police board? Uh, you know what? It, it never went anywhere okay. other than where it was supposed to be. We said from the beginning, and the ordinance is laid out, that that was money that was going to stay with the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. That said, I want to make sure, and I want to make sure next year's budget, so we may have the same fight again. That's money that goes to recruiting, hiring officers. It goes to actually increasing officer pay. It goes to helping us fund school resource officers, so many things that actually the community asks for all the time. Neighborhood patrol officers, not increases in command staff, bureaucracy, and administration, something I've had grave concerns with. You had an interesting bite at the very beginning of this program that through all of this kerfuffle, yeah. over these five months, all of this dispute and these lawsuits, 
that they didn't make anybody in Kansas City any safer. But taking that money from the police department budget and setting it aside in a community service fund, how did that make the community safer? Well, it never happened. I mean, that's the thing. So from the beginning of the lawsuit, the city agreed to say, let's wait to see how this all works out. And then if it comes out in our favor, we'll all work together sooner. If not, then we'll have to wait five months until we continue to try to address the same thing. And for me, it is how dynamic can we be to stop the violent crime epidemic we've had in Kansas City for my entire lifetime. People voted for me for mayor, not to just be a rubber stamp, not to just say, well, we're still in the top 10 most violent cities. And I think it's important for us to be as creative as possible. Part of that is looking at every programmatic effort we can have to, I think, spend our money as efficiently as possible. The Fraternal Order Police in just the last week has sure. said we were at a milestone moment in Kansas City, the lowest number of police officers in almost sure. 25 years of our history. Um, what does this do, all of this decision this week, to actually uh, increase the number of police officers on our streets? Well, in some ways, the board's action of a lawsuit was a bit pennywise and pound foolish, because while the dispute as to the next five months of Kansas City, Missouri budgeting uh, is resolved, the unfortunate part is that there are currently ordinances before City Council that would look to adjust the budget in the police department's favor. The judge laid out that even though we had had decades of those types of budget adjustments, the city cannot do those going forward. So what you will not see is increased funding from the city of Kansas City, Missouri. What does that mean in brass tacks? What that means is that at least until we can get to the next budget cycle, the police department itself will have to find a way to fund those additional officers. But here's a very important part in connection with all of it. The city has already appropriated enough funding for 1,413 officers. We have below 1,200. And the question that I have, and I think most Kansas Cityans should have, is why if mayor and council gave you the money for that many officers, do you not have these folks on the streets? Do you not have them responding to calls for service? I had the opportunity to speak to your predecessor, Mayor Mark Funkhauser, who said he actually also wanted to hold the police accountable yeah. in the same way you did, but realized that he didn't want to have that be the issue that was going to define his entire time, and he wanted to do other things. Sure. He just didn't want the distraction of that. Why did you want to take that on? Uh, in this term when you knew it was going to make a lot of people angry? Well, I, I believe, and I say this respectfully, Mayor Funkhauser found other distractions with his term. Uh, I think that violent crime is the most important issue in Kansas City. We cannot be in the top 10 most dangerous cities list year after year after year. I said this when I was running, and I still believe it, and maybe it's the neighborhoods I grew up in, because this impacts lots of lives. We have had more than 4,000 people murdered since I was a child. And to me, that's not putting the blame on the police. It's not putting the blame on the community. But we should all try to say, how can we work our level best to try to address it? You can have a new stadium somewhere. You can have streetcar going everywhere. But if you've got hundreds of people dying in our community every year, if you have hundreds of people getting shot, then I don't think that we've resolved anything that we needed to. And most importantly, you'll have people not wanting to live in Kansas City because they, their children, their families cannot feel safe. You never know what to expect when you're mayor. You certainly didn't expect a pandemic when you took over. That was really literally the first few months of you taking over in office. Did you anticipate that fighting over what types of restaurants and bars and stores would be at the airport would actually lead to more angry words and walkouts than probably anything you've dealt with? <laughs> uh, you know, a few different things. I think that this is a, a molehill that folks are trying to make into a mountain. I think that there is one particularly aggrieved council member who has made her voice known 
walking out of meetings, um, trying to talk to staff about what she thinks is wrong or right in the process earlier than the bids were even released, which I found problematic. I think, for the most part, this is a standard procurement, a standard procurement where some folks have been recommended and other folks have not been. But I stand by our city staff. I stand by their fairness. And frankly, I do not think that career city staff who never come on a show like this have any interest in trying to get themselves in trouble, lying to the city council and the public, and doing anything other than what's right for the people of Kansas City. All we've heard is that this has been a very secretive process. Yeah. It's been undermining. And yet, that was actually one of your concerns, you know, four years ago when they were picking a developer for the airport. Remember that? How is this any different? Let's hear, by the way, what you said four years ago. For some reason, early in this process, secrecy became the rule as opposed to actually just being the exception. Frankly, I think that the more eyeballs on something, the more people understand something, the better. Sunshine, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So why was that different when you were a councilman when Sly James was mayor sure. versus this process today? What is I, the difference? I think they're very different situations. How? In the first, we were talking about a no-bid, billion-dollar contract for the airport that did not go through competitive procurement led by city staff. This is very different. City council directed the aviation department to issue an RFP. It goes out to the entire public. People respond. Then they go through a process that is removed from political interference. I didn't know who the heck had applied. Most council members did not know who applied. And instead, we have a staff-led process. At the end of that, then they make a recommendation public to the city of Kansas City. Just because losing bidders have said, this is terrible because I lost, and I want more information because I lost, doesn't actually mean that's the case. And what happens now if we see a lawsuit filed by those losing bidders saying this whole process was too secretive, it wasn't done fairly, uh, could this delay what is supposed to be the opening of the brand new <laughs> terminal, March 3rd, 2023? Well, you know, I'm a lawyer by training, and I've, I've had the chance, it seems, to practice a lot lately because I've been a defendant in many lawsuits in my time as mayor. I will say this, though. Um, first of all, that lawsuit it would be without merit. Part of the reason they're trying to make so much noise is because they realize that they're, they're trying to alter the political balance. Just today in talking to you, I have had multiple people call me and say, Mayor Lucas, I'm your old friend. Vote for my bid. Mayor Lucas, vote for my bid. I don't think that's how these things should be done. And just because you have aggrieved bidders and folks flying rumors in the paper and sending mass text messages to people of Kansas City doesn't mean that it's actually a foul process. Instead, it means that there are a lot of people that are trying to foul it up. I know you've got a packed agenda. I just want to tick off a few other items yes. with you, if it's okay with you. One of them is the fact that we're looking now at expanding the, extending the mask mandate, Jackson County and Kansas City, into the first week of November. But did I, I misread this, that you may, are saying that this will be the last time we extend the mask mandate in Kansas City? You know, it is my preference we get there. And part of that is because we are actually on a good trajectory in Kansas City, again, where we are getting our infection rate below the number that the CDC recommends that we have a mask mandate in place. Would we trade in that restriction for another one? I see the city of Los Angeles this very week now imposing a new sweeping vaccine requirement to go into any public spaces. If you're not vaccinated, you can't go to a bar, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a gym or even a Lakers game. Would you oppose or welcome that move in Kansas City? You know, I don't think it's appropriate for Kansas City right now. Uh, I think that is something that we'll continue to explore. We have largely looked at the private sector to do that under the current Kansas City mask mandate. Masks are not required inside if everyone there is vaccinated. I encourage more businesses to follow that approach.
We have more than uh, 500 refugees from Afghanistan coming to Kansas City. The first families have already arrived. We've had questions about that, by the way. First of all, we know that the federal government is providing about a $1,200 stipend for those families. That won't last them that long. Right. Richard wants to know, is tax dollars from Kansas City going to be used to supplement uh, those Afghan evacuees coming to Kansas City? The answer is no. I think we have an exceptionally generous community in Kansas City, Missouri, and in the entire region, Missouri and Kansas, Jewish Vocational Service. Della Lamb, Catholic Charities, have been the organizations that are helping these folks get resettled. If you'd like to support, I encourage you to talk to those organizations, but there are not direct local taxpayer funds that are going to help pay for this. And finally, did I miss this, but are you still a candidate, a potential <laughs> candidate for the United States Senate? <laughs> My primary job is to make sure that Kansas City, Missouri is as safe as possible. You said that, that last I time. I address generational problems in Kansas City. I have been proud as a mayor to address affordable housing, to address our infrastructure and roads. You're seeing construction everywhere. I think we've had a good two years of accomplishments. I look forward to two more years of accomplishments. And right now that means that I'm not looking at any other race other than being the best mayor I can be. That includes even the next mayoral race, which you all reported. I announced I was running in. Absolutely. All righty. Well, as the airlines like to say, I know there are a lot of companies you can fly with today. Thank you for choosing Kansas City PBS. Uh, up next, we talk to our media panel as they weigh in. You're watching Kansas City Week in Review. As the mayor and his security details swiftly exit the studio, popping up on our big digital screen from the comfort of their office and kitchen chairs is the Kansas City Star's Dave Helling, Pete Mundo from KCMO Talk Radio, and from the nuclear bunker inside the coal newspaper, Eric Wesson. Eric, you're all dressed yeah. up. Hey. I, I, what, what annoys me a little bit about this is you have been interviewed, I'm told, by CBS News nationally. You've just done that interview. Yep. And they can get you to put a shirt and a tie and a jacket back on, and I can't. You know what? I'm, from now on, I'm putting it back on. Now, what were they talking about? This wasn't, I'm assuming, about events at City Hall. No, it was about Kevin Strickland in that case. So make sure you tune in to CBS uh, morning news. We will do so. I want to start, though, at City Hall on this conversation. We just heard the mayor lay out his views, his disappointments and frustrations over that long-running police funding dispute and the contract to run food joints and stores at the new look KCI. How has the mayor been hurt or even helped by taking a hard line on both of these issues, Dave? Let's take the police lawsuit first. It depends really, Nick, on whether or not the mayor and the council decide to appeal the decision by Judge Patrick Campbell. I get the sense that the mayor wants the immediate controversy to go away, and so it's possible they won't appeal, just to put the money back and then move on. The real battle, and I've written this over and over, is next year. There's been a lot of bruised egos in this process oh. on the police funding dispute, as it has been on this food fight over concessions at the airport, Pete Mundo. The mayor doesn't have to seek voters again until... Um, 2023. Will, will voters have forgotten about all the fuss over food joints at the airport, all the fuss over defunding police at that point? I don't believe the Northland is going to forget about this police uh, vote. Not, not necessarily because he wanted to pull it down to the 20% of the budget. It's the process and how it went down uh, with the, you know, shady, allegedly shading, not telling the, the Northland council members. Only Kevin O'Neill found out about the morning of so it's that side of this that still is going to rub people the wrong way for a very long time. And when it comes to the safety, I mean, the only person who's who's less safe out of this the last four months is the mayor's reelection chances. 
Do you agree with that, Eric? And you also have to be—you have to beat somebody with someone, and uh, no one has come forward at this point to challenge him. He might have to knock on a few more doors and hustle a little longer. But again, it depends on who they run against him. He's still an overwhelming favorite to me, uh, uh, Nick and Eric, no doubt about it. But right. you know, I would say it's less uh, less safe than it was five, six months ago. And right. well, people have forgotten about this, even the airport. When you yeah. think about this whole food fight, Dave, uh, about these concessions that seems to be taking up a lot of uh, ink space in the Kansas City Star right now. But that's going to open in March of 2023. He's not going to be seeking uh, election again in the primary until April of that year. Won't people be happy at that point? The airport will be open and we've moved on. Well, if it is open and everyone is happy, then I do think we'll move on. We will have moved on. If there are hiccups in the process, Nick, if the opening is delayed or if the concessions uh, winner doesn't build out the spaces and meet the, the uh, promises that it is made to the city council by March of 2023, it'll be smack dab in the middle of the mayor's race. And that's exactly what happened, as you'll recall, when Quentin Lucas and Jolie Justice uh, faced off uh, uh, in the last election, the airport was front and center because it was still on the agenda. So, yes, it'll go away if there are no problems. If there are problems, it could be the central issue in the campaign. Kansas City has hasn't broken ground yet, actually, on the new expanded streetcar line down to the plaza and onto UMKC. But the streetcar authority is already planning for the future. Its board just voted to earmark funding to study a new east-west streetcar line. Apparently, the push was initiated by a request from KU Hospital, which wants to connect other critical medical centers together. KU Hospital is on 39th Street on the Kansas side. Children's Mercy is on 24th Street. Truman, now being called University Health, is on 23rd. And research is south of 63rd Street. How is this all going to work? Eric. They're going to have to figure out a way where they don't have to go to a public vote with it along those lines and figure out a way where it doesn't increase people's property tax to do it. So it's going to have to be fully funded. If you think back before when Mayor Sly James was in office, they tried to do an east-west line close to that area that they're, that they're talking about. But because people felt it was going to raise their property taxes, they voted against it because they didn't want any more tax uh, increases. But that was, that was in 2014, and that was going to yeah. be uh, connecting east-west on Main Street yes. via Linwood Boulevard down to Prospect. Is the, how is this different, Dave, than what was, what, was, what was rejected by voters seven years ago? Well, I, there's obviously some interest in moving the line east and west, and I think that's what they're studying. But, Nick, if you put in uh, property in Kansas, in the district that puts a streetcar together, the, the prospects become enormously challenging because it crosses the state line. And so now what budget authority, what referendum can you have? Who runs it? Who gets to vote? Is the bi-state commission involved I, in I any way? I thought the K Hospital was going to help pay for that one-mile line that would connect them to Maine. Could, to could be, and, and if that's the case, but, but at that point, then state legislators might get involved. So, But it's worth studying because, and I think Eric would confirm this, the streetcar has not solved mass transit problems in Kansas City, but it does have some value to some populations. And if you could figure out a way to painlessly extend it east and west, it'd probably be a good thing. But isn't this a great time to be trying to do this, though, Pete, with so much money uh, sloshing around Washington for infrastructure and transportation funding projects? Absolutely. I mean, this is the time uh, to, to, to try to make this happen with federal dollars. 
doesn't mean it's necessarily a, a good idea or an efficient use of money. But if if this was um, some folks dream for Kansas City to get this thing done, to Eric's point, you don't need to go to the vote. You get it through federal dollars and then you can tout this thing as a major success. Let me just throw this in quickly, Nick. The feds will pay a large part of any expansion of streetcar, but they expect to see a local contribution as well. That's local effort. And they don't do 100 percent funding of virtually any of these projects across the country. So there will have to be some local revenue to make this happen. But also, uh, Eric, when we've had on this program over the last few weeks, all of that talk about a downtown stadium, when we think about community need, wouldn't a better, robust streetcar system be of more advantage to the public than taking Kauffman Stadium and, and landing it downtown? The question is, where, is, where am I going to go with, on the streetcar? Uh, what where, where destination spots do I have? And, I, and I've talked to a lot of those business owners along the streetcar line, and they said that they're making a ton of money now, and it was a great idea. And one big difference, by the way, on that 39th Street route is that's a much, much narrower street than going down yeah. Main Street, so that's going to pose some major technical challenges. On the health front, you're going to have to wear a mask for quite a while longer. Jackson County and Kansas City extending mask mandates into November. Meanwhile, hundreds of Cerner workers are facing an important decision this week. Do you want to get vaccinated or do you want to be fired? Kansas City's largest private employer has joined the growing list of companies requiring COVID vaccinations as a workplace requirement. So what happened to all those plans from our state lawmakers to block these kinds of mandates from going into effect? Pete, you know there were going to be special sessions in Missouri. I heard there's a brand new legislative committee in Kansas uh, of lawmakers looking to defy all of these vaccine mandates. What happened? I think they realize that uh, the, the political will and want is not there. And it's also a little hypocritical uh, from some folks' perspective to say, well, we're, we're for the private sector doing what it wants unless we don't agree with what the private sector is doing. Um, and, and that, you know, kind of made this a tightrope and does make it a continued tightrope for some. So I, I think that was a lot of bluster, a lot of talk, and I think that it's quietly fallen by the wayside uh, tactically. Well, I do think there will be discussion next year in both states about uh, some sort of statute that would uh, address what businesses can and cannot do. As you know, the Kansas legislature has put together a heavily Republican committee that will take a look at this issue. It's been a long time since the death penalty was the issue grabbing the headlines. That's because executions have become exceedingly rare. This year, there's been only one inmate put to death anywhere in the United States. That was in Texas this week. Missouri carried out the second execution in the country this year. 61-year-old Ernest Johnson put to death after being convicted of a triple murder at a convenience store back in 1994. Anti-death penalty activists and faith leaders tried to block the execution on the grounds that Johnson was intellectually disabled and diminished mental capacity. Even Pope Francis called for a halt to the execution. Some view the pontiff as one of the most influential figures in the world. But the pope wasn't able to convince Governor Mike Parson, Eric? No. And that was unusual because I believe once before the pope had contacted uh, the governor and he had changed the position and commuted a, a sentence here in the state. Can I just, just quickly, Eric, that was Mel Carnahan. Okay. who visited with the Pope in person in St. Louis. He had made a stop there during a U.S. tour, and uh, Pope John Paul II leaned over to the governor and said, please spare this man's life, and Carnahan did commute the sentence. So it, it, there's no political appetite at this point, though, to restrict the death penalty in Missouri, Pete? 
No, I, I'm not seeing that at all. I, I don't think that that's something that is uh, going away anytime soon and uh, didn't seem to really fall outside of other than party lines. It's interesting, Dave, because in Kansas, they reinstated the death penalty back in 1994. 27 years later, they still haven't executed anyone. That's correct. And even the pace of executions in Missouri has dropped, uh, Nick. In fact, executions across the country are not as common as they were four or five years ago. But there's no realistic uh, uh, belief that the Missouri legislature, or for that matter, the Kansas legislature, would would uh, reduce uh, or eliminate the death penalty or commute those sentences. Eric. Every day we see in a newspaper somewhere in the country or re hear about it on a radio talk show of where a person is exonerated and released from prison based upon eyewitness identification or something along their trial that was wrong. Somewhere in this country, we have executed some innocent people. We, we don't have a perfect system. I think that's the, that's the real conversation. With the mayor as our newsmaker guest earlier in the program, we didn't get a chance to go through all the stories on my agenda this week. What was the big story we missed? One of Kansas City's biggest mysteries is back in the headlines. This week marks 10 years since baby Lisa vanished. No one has ever been charged in her disappearance, but Kansas City Police insists the case is still open and they're actively investigating. You may remember his remark more than his name. If it's a legitimate rape, uh, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. Former Missouri Congressman Todd Akin has died. His abortion comments sunk his U.S. Senate campaign against Clem McCaskill in 2012. Four years after being ousted as mayor of Wyandotte County, Mark Holland is staging a comeback. He's running for United States Senate. Holland will challenge Kansas Senator Jerry Moran, who's up for re-election next year. We're becoming accustomed to big name changes in Kansas City. Add another one to the list. If you drive by Truman Medical Center this week, you may notice a significant difference. It's been renamed. Truman Med is now University Health. Okay, Eric Wesson, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? I picked something completely different. We talk a lot about homicides. We talk a lot about COVID deaths. But one thing that we don't really pay a lot of attention to is car accidents and the people that are involved in that. I think we're at like 69 this year. We need to start talking about traffic fatalities. Dave. My buddy Pete Mundo called us all clowns at the Kansas City Star today, so I'm sure he didn't really mean that when he uh, used that phrase. Maybe he'll want to talk about that in a minute. And second, uh, we did an interview, John Holt and I, for our four-star politics show with the two mayoral candidates in Overland Park, uh, Mike Zinnegi and Kurt Skoog. Good race, empty seat, interesting debate. Uh, it's on both of our websites. And Pete. I guess I can clarify the takes can be clown-ish. Does that mean individuals are clowns? Not necessarily, but you do four hours of live radio, you can misspeak here and there. And by the way, the uh, Kansas City Clown Association is applauding the use of the word clown in a positive way uh, because we love clowns. And I don't want we any do. clowns <laughs> being upset with indeed. the show. By the way, we yeah, will be bringing those mayoral candidates in uh, Overland Park on the show in the next couple of weeks, along with the uh, two candidates running for mayor of Wyandotte County. On that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to Quinton Lucas for joining us earlier and to our panelists on the big screen. Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star, always on call at the Kansas City Call, Eric Wesson at 6 to 10 weekday mornings on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo. I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.